Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the 10 Laws Podcast with East Forest. I am Mr. Forrest. Thank you for joining us. I'm coming to you today from deep in the southern Utah. Been down here for a little bit. I was helping out with uh, Rada's retreat that she was doing here, which went great. But it is hot. It is oh so hot down here. And I'm heading back up north tomorrow, which unfortunately it's even hotter up there. I guess that's the way things go. But uh, that's okay. But this week, I have a conversation with Hanifa Nayo Washington. Hanifa uh, is amazing. We had several paths crossing all at once, and uh, it just seemed like it was the right time to talk. She describes herself as a cultural producer and sacred activist, and we get into a bit about what that means. But she's got her hands in a lot of really beautiful pies and is out there on the front lines doing some great stuff. And she's also one of the co-founders of the Fireside Project, which is pretty cool. If you haven't heard about Fireside yet, it's basically a psychedelic peer support line. So in one level, if you are in a journey and you're having some trouble, you could call 62Fireside, which is 623-473-7433. Uh, you can go to firesideproject.org to get that number or learn more about it. I encourage you just to put that number, 62Fireside, in your contacts now. So if you ever needed to, you could just say, Hey Siri, call Fireside. Hit the speed. Oh, now Siri's coming on. Siri, turn off. Turn off, Siri. Don't call Fireside right now. Oh my God. Um, it's not like it's 911, like it's an emergency. I mean, you can also, you can use it that way, but you can also call Fireside um, for other kinds of free and confidential emotional peer support. So you can be processing a past trip, uh, or maybe it's before, or, you know, it could be something that happened a long time ago. It's an emotional support line there for you. So that's pretty cool that that's like out there in the spirit of the gift. And we want to let you know about it. And so we do talk about that near the latter half of this podcast. But I think you're going to enjoy all things Hanifa. I know I did very much. Uh, hey, the possible album. I've been talking about it and releasing tracks every few weeks for a couple months now. And I'm pretty excited because on July 23rd, the entire album, which is 11 songs, will be coming out in full. So check it out wherever you listen to music. And thank you so much for listening and for sharing the music. And for all of us here in this podcast community, it means a lot to me when you uh, when you do share that online and help spread the word amongst all the stuff that's going on these days. Um, I'm just trying to put out a little quiescence into the world. And I think you're going to like the rest of the album. And you can get the vinyl now. The vinyl is going to start shipping next week. It's this beautiful iridescent blue. Check it out, eastforest.org, and we've got the shop there with our perfume oils and all that other jazz, including the new possible uh, merch. And thank you so much to our East Forest Council members. You can check that out at patreon.com slash eastforest. It's a way to support this podcast, which is also offered in the spirit of the gift. And we thank everyone who's able to give on whatever tier is right for you as a way to support the East Forest Project and this project in general. And thanks, everyone. If you can't do the council or your Patreon's not right for you, uh, we do thank you for leaving a review on iTunes or sharing your favorite episodes or clips or just saying hi at East Forest, at East Forest Music, and info at eastforest.org. Okay, well... 
let's get into this wonderful conversation with our new friend, Hanifa. Well, Hanifa Washington, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. And uh, I really appreciate uh, being here. And I also, in the past few years, I've been really um, honoring my middle name, which is Nayo. Um, ah. So Hanifa Nayo Washington is what I go by. And Wonderful. My middle name means with whom I go. And my first name means the bringer of happiness. So um, the bringer of happiness with whom I go. Washington. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's a wonderful marriage. What, can you give us a little more background on your name? And like, uh, A, why you are using, pulling in the middle name now and yeah. what that meaning is for you, like where it kind of came from? Yeah. Well, um, I was born in the late 70s uh, in Detroit. And my um, parents were really a part of the Black Liberation Movement. And um, wanted their children to have names that um, were in African descent. And my dad had um, uh, converted to Islam. And so he wanted me to have an Islamic name. My mom wanted me to have an African name. And so they found Hanifa, which is shared in both of those cultures. Um, And um, in Arabic, Hanifa means true believer. And like Hanifs are kind of like spiritual leaders in the community. Uh Um, and so Hanifa, uh, in Arabic, um, means like first daughter or bringer of happiness. And Nayo is purely Arabic, which means with whom I go. And I remember at some point my mom saying, and when you want to shed your colonized last name, like you can, and you would just be Hanifa Nayo. And so for a long time, in my life growing up, you know, I was really resentful of my name because many people, you know, particularly people who have been racialized as white, had a really difficult time saying Hanifa. And I always thought, like, mm. if people can say all these other complicated scientific names, and but these three syllables hold some some weight or, or stumbling, like, what's, what's really going on there? Um, mm. And, uh, uh, but I think the more I've just lived my life, um, the more I just really embrace what my name is and means and, and inspires and challenges me to be. Um, so I just really wanted to embrace that, uh, particularly after diving into some deep, you know, medicine work, honestly, um, really embracing all of who I am and as well as my colonized last name and understanding right. what that is and knowing that I also have the choice. Um, and so I think soon I'll be doing a ceremony to release that last name and to really be Hanifanayo in this world. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting the way you're talking about the names and how we hold them as identities, but how it's, in essence, it's always a choice. Yes. Uh, it's something, it's like a clothing we choose to wear. It's powerful, very, very powerful. Uh, but there is this, like, inherent, like, soup of cultures and ideas and contradictions you're saying in your own name. And that in itself, I, does that, like serve as any kind of mirror or reflecting back to you, like the path that you find yourself on? Mm, that's such an interesting question. Because what is the path that I find myself on? Well, yeah, <laughs> it's an open question intentionally. <laughs> so you can answer that how you choose. No, I hear you. And yeah. I think that one of the paths, I'm just like, you know, it's all the path to me is really, you know, I've been waking up recently asking myself, what is it that you really want? 
And it's been such an awesome practice because normally when I wake up recently, <laughs> this past COVID year, it's sort of like kind of groggy. And then I find myself reaching for my phone, right? And I'm like scrolling on something or like putting on some music or doing something with my phone. Um, yeah. So just actually waking up, thinking about my dreams um, and asking myself this question, what is it that you really want? And it's, there's no time limit on it. I'm not like, what do you want today? Or what do you want in this lifetime? Just like, what do you really want? And um, it's been a cool practice. And so much of it is just about really being true to my creative power and process and honoring that. Um, so much of it has been about like actually anything to do, <laughs> you know, w without technology. Like I, I don't want the phone. I want to be in nature. I want to wake up next to the ocean. You know, I, I want simplicity. Um, and, um, and just being, being in, in my truth and following that and allowing that. Um, so I feel like a path that I've been on for a long time is really about like, it's not like finding myself, but it's just about being myself. Um, and then noticing whatever gets in the way of being myself and like noticing that recognizing it and moving it or shifting it or transmuting it to, so I can just be who I am. And, you know, words are powerful. They really are. Um, um, sound, as you know, super powerful. So to fully step into what my name is and to like make space mm -hmm. for it. Cause sometimes like just, you know, coming on the podcast, you sort of said my name and 10 years ago, I'd have been like, yeah, that's who I am. But I'm like, no, I'm going to pull in my full self into this space and mm -hmm. be totally fine with that. And um, because I get I get to do that, I get to be my full self um, at, at all times. And so I definitely feel like um, honoring also this um, the spirit behind my parents' decision. You know, I feel like I live that that decision of like we live in this country. You know, as uh, African descendants, and what claim do I really have to? any of my past. Um, and if that's through a name that has significance and that has honor, I'm, I, I get to do that. I get to live into that. Um, and so there's pieces about reclamation and there's pieces about being in allowance and in the moment. And that's definitely a path and a, mm -hmm. and a practice in a way for me mm -hmm. now. Yeah, I, I was digging around in your world a bit and you have this phrase sacred activist, which is another sort of open phrase or term. And I want to I want you to tell me what that means for you. What does it mean to be an activist, but one that's sacred? Or how do these intersect? Yeah, um, um, I think that, you know, when I think about activism, I, I think about the root of that, you know, in terms of like activating um, and, and what and what are we activating? And, and why? <laughs> why do we need activism? Um, what is it that needs to be energized? What is it that needs to have attention drawn to it? What is it that needs to be changed? Um, and activism and activators, um, to me, are people who are calling attention. Um, they're also connecting people together um, across a movement, if you want to call it that. Um, they're connecting people um, both in, to me, in knowledge, and when, when I pull in sacred into it, connecting them in spirit, um, getting into the root of the thing, 
Um, and to me, it's about here I am on this planet and this time, and there's great suffering and there is great injustice and there is there's great beauty and there is great possibility. And so my hope is that I can be in my fullness and in my creation um, and in my healing and in my joy and in my ease and in my balance. And I want that for other people deeply. And so um, when I think about sacred activism and the practices of sacred activism, it is it, it pulls in the spirit into activism and liberation work. I feel like um, a lot of liberation work and my mother and a lot of my um, you know elders were involved in the the black pro liberation movement and I feel like there I learned a lot of like you know it is about cooperation right it is about sharing resources um, it is about um, making sure that people have access and there wasn't like a lot of joy um, and and there wasn't a lot of uh, uh, um, easefulness and there wasn't a lot of like love for the body and love for um, um, space and gentleness if that makes sense and so yeah. when I think about where I align and why I have gravitated toward being in alignment with sacred activism is that my hope is to be in a practice for myself where I am in recognition of my body and of spirit and where spirit intersects um, with justice and where spirit intersects um, with also accountability. <laughs> so uh. how can we be in practices that acknowledge our whole being, that accept that we all can be in error and, and failure and still continue to hold the line with my community members, with myself, um, and not being a punitive mind state, um, not in a cutting off mind state. Where this is really it's good. One or the other. Yeah. Now I want to go deeper in this. This is we're heading right to some big questions for myself, and I think <laughs> inside the wellness movement, the psychedelic movement, and the racial justice movement, social justice, all the <laughs> justice, and yeah. how these combine. Uh, now, as there is, this is really an an interesting subject where we talk about how does our inner work relate to social justice, to racial justice versus how does it become a form of spiritual bypass or how does it become, there was a lot of criticism going around in the last year or so of, you know, if you sort of took things to the meta in a way or in, in or in the spiritual, which is by its nature, in a sense, always kind of like a bigger picture, it was triggering for some where it's like, no, 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 we got to stay with you're, you're finding, you're not on the issue. You're, you're going, you know, you're bypassing in a sense, mm -hmm. but, or, but there's, there's always going to be those, there are truths to it, of course, where it's like, well, you, maybe it's just not, how do I say this? I want to know like how, how the inner work can help with justice work. And where and where it can go sideways, and the fact <laughs> that you're the the fact that you're combining the two and saying as sacred activism, I'm like, of course it's sacred activism, right? Like at its core, I mean that's what it is. It is about the spirit. It is about the self. It is about your transformation so that you can connect with that which is around you yeah. and others. 
But <laughs> that seems to have gone sideways many ways uh, recently. And so I want to get into that. Yeah. And I, I think just to, to dig a little deeper, it's this, the inner work um, and, you know, what we can call self-work. To me, it's, it is collective. Um, so in my mindset and how I view the healing process, um, is that yes, we heal and are in a healing process for ourselves. Um, and that has an outward impact on the collective, on the people around us and our families, um, our families and our communities and our neighborhoods and so on and so forth. And so when, and also like back into our ancestorship. Um, and so for t- to, to me, it is about having space and time to be in practices of uh, liberation, to be in practices of acknowledgement and reflection, um, and, uh, and then to be in practices of action and accountability. So what have you noticed? What are the patterns? What, where, what are the pitfalls? Um, where, are you, where, are your, where are you being stretched? And then how do you make the daily steps, the moment-by-moment steps, um, to bring yourself into in your full power while still making space and allowing with grace and love other people to be fully in their power. Uh, and so to me, the society has, American society, U.S. society, global society, has created a way in which we have to be competing um, in that you can't show up fully in your power and meet me show up fully in my power that there's got to be some sort of struggle and so to me the practice is about what i have learned through one of my teachers in the own span is about being a conscious co-creation we're always co-creating always but to be consciously co-creating means that i am aware of what it of my power in this moment and i'm going to be full in that and i'm also going to invite that of you by asking questions by listening, and also by being willing to reflect and change my mind. And so the inner work um, uh, is, yes, the individual practice. And then the understanding is knowing that that inner work is going to reverberate outward to and impact people in ways that you don't even, you don't even know. Without the inner work, and it's going to look different for everybody, but if you're not engaged in an inner practice and inner reflection, um, it's very difficult for systems to change. And, we're, and for me, I'm like, this is about systems change. This is about changing the way of being um, uh, of how you know, we operate um, as, as a whole. And systems are made up of people. And so when, when people change, systems change. And you can't, have, you can't have one without the other. The system will not change if people do not change. And that is not just about policy right? It's not just about law. It's about ways of being, ways of being with yourself, ways of being with each other. You hit the nail on the head. I couldn't agree more because I've, I've like a broken record. I've been saying for years and years, like my, my view, the reason I do what I do is that I believe change comes from the inside out, the individual at a time. It doesn't come from the top down. It's right. people changing. And then as you, choices happen, and that may be policy, that may be systems. There's, there isn't really another way. But the predominant narrative is sort of waiting 
for the top-down change. It's like, well, I'm waiting Whoa. for being told what to do, or the thing says this, or the law is that. So Whoa. be it. Or that's the way it is, you know, or I'm just one person kind of mm-hmm. idea. And it's like, no, but it really matters. Not just the obvious things like the actions and choices and things you do externally in the world, but even going inside to perhaps even the thoughts you have, the feelings you have. Like the, I, I can't prove that, but my heart tells me that's mm-hmm. true. And the, you, know, I believe do, that. you know, it's so you're, you're helping me connect dots in something that I feel, but I, I can't always explain. There is this notion, like people feel this way a lot. I hear this all the time. I'm just one person. What can I do? Uh, you know, I, I don't have any power. And that's just such a mantra that people tell themselves. And then they go and live their lives that way. And then the world is shaped the way it is. But the, the, your inner struggles, what you might think is a private dysfunction of your own being, is a reflection of, in my opinion, of the macrocosm, right? And so when you can align and notice and support and heal and be in a healing process with your own internal imbalances and your own internal um, misalignment, and you know what that is, only you know what that is. When you acknowledge that and create a relationship with it and move into the healing process, and I keep saying process because healing is a process. You know, I think we have this notion of like, you know, healing starts and then it's over. No, it's a process and it's, it's, it's like a cycle or, or a um, spiral, kind of like your like logo. So it's kind of spirals out. And so there's this process of like growing awareness about like, what's the problem? What is wrong? What is in pain? What is in dysfunction? And then there's understanding it, doing research, getting getting some maybe diagnosis, um, uh, sit, sitting with understanding where it is and where it lies and when it happened. And then there's the medicine. And that medicine and that treatment could look like a different and a couple different varieties and different processes over different periods of time. And then there's integrating, right? And then it starts again. Then it's like, okay, awareness, understanding, medicine integration and it just spirals out and so to me in in my practice i know that as i am in the healing process with myself and my being i am directly impacting the world around me and i i know it from what people tell me i know it from my dreams i know it from my senses and i believe it to be true for every other being as well and that that needs to be really uplifted and, and celebrated. I think we're, you know, with Instagram and our phones and all the stuff, we're looking for constant, like they say, immediate gratification. Um, but we're also like long on the line of this work and consciousness um, being healed and revealed to us. So I, I think that I am in deep, deep gratitude to all of my ancestors who kept going to all of the great teachers and the freedom fighters to and the musicians and the artists who can cons- consistently lift up like there's a bigger way there's a heart way and like you're a part of that thank you for that um speaking of inner work you know there it, it seems i i could argue like in the moment there's there's not much stronger inner work uh than the psychedelic journey uh, certainly, there's other things, no doubt, but that's a very powerful experience uh, in some occasions. Uh, and so, how can we use the therapeutic use, or it's just, just called intentional use of psychedelics, uh, 
to help people with social justice, racial justice, inclusivity? Is it always like because it's such an inner process about working from the inside out, or how do you, how do you view that? Because that that combination uh, is not really talked about much, and I feel like it's extremely relevant right now with this revolution that's going on with psychedelic therapy against what's happening around us in the culture, in the world. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I think that there are, there are narratives in the world, right? So there are uh, narratives that are perpetuated by those in power um, and there are counter narratives. And then there are, you know, the shadow narratives and the spirit narratives and the whisper narratives that like aren't broadcast. And and so I hear a lot um, in uh, the psychedelic space, I'll call it, you know, people who have been oppressed have been excluded from the psychedelic movement or um, there's underrepresentation. And, and, and honestly, you know, psychedelics, um, plant-based medicine, plant kin, are central to to you know indigenous people of color and all people honestly the the practices and the use and the relationships with them and so I think there's a lot about the narrative of like who are we getting our information from and, and then why do we believe it to be true and so I think I'm saying this because and from my opinion and vantage point I think that there are a lot of people who are in the social justice movement. Um, brown and black bodied people, people who have been made to be marginalized, that do have deep relationship with Plantkin. Um, and that just, you know, don't run multi-million dollar corporations, but benefit greatly from the practices and the collective uh, benefits of doing medicine work together and being in that kind of healing space and ceremonial space. I think that there's a massive connection between, um, um, again, you know, what's sacred and what is what what is activism and i think that there's also a clearness that happens and i can only speak to for myself right in terms of okay how do i want to what do i want to contribute in my lifetime and in in this world um to the liberation of of my people and of all people um and in my experience with psychedelics psilocybin and ayahuasca in particular you know, I have had visions and I have experienced um, downloads, if you want to call it, or revelations that have really been clear of like what I'm holding from the past, um, the traumas that I have held as a result of, um, you know, poisonous uh, deconstructing systems of oppression. Um, and again, once I'm aware of it, and that's the thing, is that being so close to something it's hard to, to see like how you're entangled in it. And I feel like in my experience, psychedelics have helped me to have the kind of larger viewpoint where I can pan out and see just like, how is, how is this um, actually harming my body and my relationships and my mind and my thoughts? Um, and then it's always up to the individual to make changes. And so there isn't a magic wand that someone can cast across the social justice movements um, and know that and think that it's going to work the same for everybody involved. Um, but I think that there's a real connection between 
transformation as humanity and access to psychedelics in a, in a therapeutic and healing and intentional practice and use. Wow. That's a, that's a big statement. So with the next like logical through line of that be, we need to increase access to therapeutic psychedelic availability and use. I think absolutely. I, I think that there's enough studies out there now. <laughs> you don't have to convince me. I'm just, you know, <laughs> I try to be a good you know, host know, here but like, and ask the questions. There's just like, you know, the way the society works is like scientists have to prove like that these yeah, things yeah. work when indigenous elders and know this already that like, yes, psilocybin <laughs> help depression. Like, duh. Like, yeah. And when we think about the number one killers for particularly in the United States and for African-American people, um, which is the identity to like, that I identify with is like, we know that stress is a major, uh, a killer because it is the, the, the mother to diabetes and, and heart disease and, and stroke and hypertension. Um, and we know now the science is like saying it, that psilocybin and ayahuasca and MDMA and others help to, in one session, reduce the risks of, of stress um, that help to, to alleviate and, and heal the body. So I think like, I almost, I feel like it's like reparations. I feel like people should have <laughs> free access to this medicine, particularly those who have been the most harmed and who continue to wake up and live in a society um, that is wrought with systems of oppression. Um, and so I, I think that we need deep treatment. All of the society needs deep treatment. And I'm also going to come out and say, and I'm not, you know, the only one saying this, but like, and it's not a miracle, right? A miracle drug or cure. There's no magic wand. It's not just an, oh, go get this treatment and everything will be great. It's actually in the, the, <laughs> the afterwork, right? In the integration, um, in, in the daily practices and the accountability by which we hold on to the healing and the change. Um, and so I, I think that being in meditative practices, having healing group sessions, having integration circles um, are also key to transformational healing on a large scale. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so what, w- what would you think would be some ideal ways to offer these sorts of experiences to marginalized people, communities, people of color, uh, that I mean, I would imagine we need a lot of different ways, like you know, and as yeah. opposed, to, you know, and so would the best method be sort of like um, a legalization on top of resources and ability, so people can do it in a language that speaks to them and offer it in all these different disparate ways. There, there are so many ways that this could go down, right, um, mm-hmm. and are going down. So. I think that, you know, one, we just need to uplift that there is an underground of, of folks doing this work and holding ceremonial healing spaces and treatment spaces for folks. And I think that, yes, taking all of the illegal, you know, um, statutes off of these medicines um, are fundamental because, because it will help to also um, normalize and obviously legalize and decriminalize it so people aren't fearful. Like, I take a big risk every time I get on a podcast and talk about how I have experienced and experimented and actively, you know, in the practice of using plant-based medicine. And um, not everybody's out here trying to put themselves in that position, right? Yeah, and so particularly I feel as people yeah. of color, because it's not just the stigma, like the stigma 
of like, oh, you're going to take this and go crazy. But there's also like, someone could come and throw your ass in jail. And so, but the reality is, it's like, this is our, it's all of our birthright. We, we all should have access to these medicines. Um, and the medicines are always good. People are not, but the medicines are always good. So I think that like, yes, fully legalized, fully decriminalized. Um, and then, you know, the work that I do with Fireside Project um, is fully about, uh, you know, risk reduction. It's about risk reduction and helping to support the potential of psychedelic experiences. So risk reduction is really huge. Um, just because something is decriminalized and legal doesn't mean that like we can just be out here willy-nilly taking any kind of amounts of anything at any time and any dose. And so there's practices um, and education that's super important. Um, so for people to have access, for it to be legal and decriminalized, and for there to be education, and for people to know how to hold the space for others, um, how to uh, safely guide each other, and then to have multiple ways in which we are engaging with these medicines and um, treatments, both in individual settings, but also in collective settings. Um, and, and then having, like I was saying before, the integration, the processing time, the group time to come in a group and collect in a collective space to be able to talk about what was coming up to have coaching and therapy and support um, to uh, be reflected back to, um, to have space held for you as you explain what it was like to move through your experiences. Um, and then also ways of just like being in joy and celebration, you know, um, as a part of it, being able to be in movement and dance and in music and in, um, yeah, celebration. I, I think that often when we think about healing, celebration and joy is not a part <laughs> of that. And to me, it's like integral. Um, it, it's just not like, oh, this is heavy and hard, but it's like, how do we transmute? How do we transmute what is difficult and return it back to potential and move it into, um, and be able to move it into something that's joyous um, and celebratory? That, that's a really full spectrum viewpoint. I mean, in our medicalization of uh, healing, a, we don't often think of like, well, people can be more well. And like, that's a valid pursuit, so to speak. And not that everyone's well, and I don't like to think everyone's broken or something, but just also that, like, I love that, that sort of the, how do you transmute? It's not just getting into it and working through it. It's like, maybe the next steps are like bringing in the elements of joy and celebration, which even though it's baked into the ethos of our country, the pursuit of happiness in some ways, it's not. <laughs> we we it's kind of we, we we do the pursuit of happiness in this really external surface Candyland way, but it's like we, we don't really our, as a culture. I feel like we don't celebrate in the ways that other cultures do because it's just in their bones. They're like you know, we know you know if you spend any time in Latin communities, like they know how to celebrate. You know, it's just part right. of their culture, and it's like. But something about the American culture, it's weird. We've like, it's more about like getting drunk or what you can buy. Or mm. how many likes you get. I don't know. It's it's just I'm shooting from the hip here. But I love yeah, that you bring that into the healing process. Yeah, it feels, you know, when you say the American dream and happiness, it's like, at what cost? You know, whose blood <laughs> had to be shed? You know, and it's like devoid at any of cost. spirit. Yeah. It's just devoid. To me, it's just like devoid of spirit. <laughs> and in my experience, also, like, I find that, that, um, that it, I don't... Uh, 
I don't remember, I'm thinking about dosages of when I'm thinking about medicine and doing medicine work. And there's, there's, I feel like there's two camps, right? There's like, go for the macro dose where it's just like incredible amount or like a micro, a micro dose um, or, or, or micro dosing or how do you blend those two things? And I feel like I have such, and now I'm very thankful for it because I have such a deep connection with spirit because I've learned to listen and pause and I don't need to like take these huge doses but I get that sometimes folks need that to be able to break through or to be able to connect in a different way. Um, and I'm not sure why I'm bringing this up, but it feels important around, like, I think culturally different different cultures that um, re- require a, a diff- different ways of interacting with plant medicine um, a- across the healing journey, um, whereas I feel like uh, some folks can start with very low dosages and have like really extreme experiences mm-hmm. and then vice versa. Like some people really need really huge experiences. The more disconnected they are mm-hmm. from spirit to, to reconnect them. Um, and so I, I, I feel like I, you know, I just believe in, I, I believe in a psychedelic world. Um, I believe mm-hmm. in, um, I, I think that psychedelics should be, just integrated into everything that we're up to and that it, that it should be normalized and it should be protected. The medicine should be protected. The land should be protected. Um, and also the, 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 um, the ethics around who like controls and governs these medicines needs some really serious exploration and accountability. Um, because, the more I think we move away from it being natural and or connected to nature and the, the ways of nature, uh, the more problematic that um, the practice and use of these substances, you know, because they move into substances, right? They move away from being plant medicine into substances. And I, I think that that, I have a lot of fear. I have a lot of fear around as we're moving into um where we're moving in the psychedelic industry, like things being synthetic and um, derived from, from protected plants, like where that can go. Um, so there's a part of me that wants to remain hopeful, like, wow, this is really optimistic around like what the impacts could be. Um, but as long as, it's a, as long as it's about for the healing for as many people as possible, but when it comes to, um, you know, make, just making a small amount of people rich, um, with potential hazard impacts on people, that makes me really nervous. I, I think it's probably going to be a both and. I mean, like Ooh. many things in our world, and particularly in this culture, it, it there it, there will be missteps, people getting rich, and power grabs. Uh, all that's happening will happen. But at the same time, I mean, look at look at it with psilocybin in particular. Mm-hmm. Yes, there will be pharmaceuticals that come up. Uh, they're like, we're going to be making the uh, psilocybin. But that doesn't change the fact that it's pretty easy and that the mushrooms themselves still will continue growing. And then it's like, hey, screw them. I can send you a kit. or They're already online, but now it's going to be really easy and just yeah. the mushrooms be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we can just really start growing everywhere and it's fine. <laughs> and it's like, that's one particular substance that's, and it's quite sustainable to grow as opposed to peyote or um, right. some other things. So right. I, I feel like it's going to be messy, but that's the way humans grow. 
And I think it's admirable to have the through line of how can we provide education and tools and support. That's yeah. very, very important. But we can't necessarily try to squash down all the court gestures on the side. Who's yeah. trying to, it's going to it's gonna happen. Um, but yeah. I, I feel like if anything, it's sort of a yin yang and it's a sign that something else is rising as well. You could say the same thing about just all the chaos and apocalyptic destruction and composting happening Ooh. now. It's a sign Ooh. of what is on the other side uh, growing and rising. Ooh. I wonder, that made me think of something to go back to what we were talking about earlier when you were talking about social justice and the justice movements and, and what people, what I think is needed. One of the things is um, to be able to uh, honor and hold spaces where we can be in affinity healing spaces as integration. Um, and particularly maybe even in ceremony or in, or in practice and in use with medicines. Um, to be able to identify um, the, uh, the systems that are upon us um, so to be able to identify, like, if, if I wanted to be in um, a circle or in an experience that was just with women, or if I wanted to be in an experience or a circle that was just with women of color or women who are black, um, women who are black and born in America. You see, we can just keep going in because there's there's certain types of healing and vibration and frequency and patterns that we can then recognize with each other and heal totally. um, and talk about. And then still have spaces where we all come together, like what one of my projects is affectionately called in one village, one village healing. Um, and so with, to me, without honoring the need for affinity healing spaces, we're doing a, just a disjustice to the, the healing process, particularly when we're talking about healing from systemic oppression. Right. Mm. Um, and so I feel like and have just been such a champion <laughs> For, for those types of spaces um, and um, I think more spaces for people in America who identify as white um, to be together and also understanding how the impacts of these systems impact them. Because I think there's this myth that like uh, people who identify as white or who have been racialized as white aren't impacted by systems of oppression when actually th there's a great there's, there's great dysfunction um, there and great pain. Um, and so these th having these discussions and naming those things is, is particularly to America, uh, to the U.S. and our history, I always say we cannot heal what we do not name. And it is one of the greatest, right? The, 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 the pain um, and violence uh, and destruction around, along racial lines um, because of racism and white supremacy and capitalism, in my opinion, um, have just totally, you know, uh, um, they are the great dysfunction of this country. And so when we recognize that collectively and can name it and sit in it, um, and I think like psychedelics are a, an amazing ally and tool to sit in that with, they can help us have discussions with ourselves and with other people um, to name the harm and to name the pain and then to then be accountable to each other in disrupting that and in transmuting it. Um, and that's one of my great hopes as I move forward in my work is to be able to celebrate, create and hold spaces um, and create those spaces for, for all, all affinity groups. 
Yeah, it's affinity groups. When you think about healing, it feels like circles within circles. But look, yeah. if, you, if you take that spiral idea you were mentioning before, still like points on the spiral on different points in the spiral, uh, they all connected, but they all have um, kind of specific realms of meaning that are important. It's sort of hard to focus down when you're in the big one in a way, but right. we also need to integrate it into the big one. So it's sort of like we need to have a space to do all of those things. Um, and I think that's a great, that's a great suggestion. And, you know, that's also something that's fairly like concrete to be able to do. And that's helpful. So I appreciate that. Uh, you did mention One Village Healing, and I was curious if you could just tell me a little bit more about what that is, because I was reading about it. Cool. Yeah. Um, so back in uh, early or late 2017, I got a message. And I'm one who really listen, listens. Like I listen, I practice, I meditate, and I listen to spirit is what I call it. Um, and I, I got a message and I got a, um, what I would call an assignment. Um, and it was like, we need to create this space, <laughs> um, a space for, uh, people to have access to, for people in your community, for the organizers in your community, for, um, the people who have been sort of, uh, if you want to say left out of the wellness movement, um, but really, it was about people need community. People need healing community. There's some unraveling happening on a larger level of society um, in terms mm-hmm. of like where people can go together to be in healing practice. Um, and it needs to be accessible. It needs to be, you know, for some folks, free. Uh, to be able to come and sit in meditation, to be able to come and get Reiki, to be able to come um, to be in an all-men's group or all-women's group, to come to get yoga, um, to come to have discussions about ancestry and ancestral healing. And so um, I sat on that assignment (laughs) for a little bit, and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Um, But, you know, to to me, um, when I when I get in the flow, right, people talk about flow state, things happen. When I, when I just say yes to what I'm being asked to do, people show up and the ways form. And so um, I started talking about it with a couple of different people and um, brought some folks together and it just sort of began to snowball. And um, we created um, the project in words and then we moved it on into the world. And so One Village Healing uh, was founded in April of 2019 and we uh, are a collective, uh, mostly of brown and black practitioners, uh, here to hold space, create space, um, and programs um, for those most impacted by systems of oppression to have an accessible space, a barrier-free space, to be in healing and in collective healing together. Um, so we um, had an actual physical space um, in downtown New Haven where I live in Connecticut um, for a year. And then our lovely friend, COVID-19, came through. Never heard of it. What's that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And it really, it it was, it just, you know, it was very hard, you know, so we had to close the space down. Yeah. um, And we ended up putting everything in storage. And um, we 
took a few weeks or so to figure out what was happening in the world. Um, and then in late April or maybe even May of 2020, we decided to move our practices online. And we are like deeply heart-based people, you know, and so like moving something that's so like personal to an online platform, we just thought no one's going to come. Like, yes, we can offer, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, meditation and yoga and these, you know, healing groups and um, it, online, but who's going to come? And we were amazed by how many people did come and are still coming. And now, you know, we're online and, and our services are free. Um, so we have some grants and, you know, public support that supports uh, us to be able to offer these things for free. So we have seven different sessions that happen a week um, from, yeah, there's a black man's group um, to uh, a, a Reiki and meditation group, yoga. Um, I lead a session on Tuesdays called Rise. Um, uh, and it's really about collective healing, um, barrier-free some of our offerings are in affinity space, so they're only for certain groups. Some of our offerings are for everyone. Um, and so, yeah, if you go to onevillagehealing.org, cool. you can check it out. And my vision is that every day anybody <laughs> can click on a link at this point um, and have access to a, a collective healing process, whether that's breath work, whether it's meditation, um, and I, and because I fully believe that those practices help us move deeper into our healing process, um, and it gives us community. Yeah. And that's totally. super important. I, it's so cool. Cause it's sort of like the, the, the gifts that were inside the bitter medicine of COVID. Mm. And for myself, I started doing these, uh, online ceremony concert things right here. I never, ever would have been like, yeah, I'll do a medicine concert virtually that would have seemed like stupid and crazy before but in the moment we're like i think this could help people on whatever level even if they're just relaxing and so we went for it and it turned into like this whole discovery process of accessibility and all the, the advantages we never thought of of people enjoying being in their own home or just being able to drop in when they need to or want to or right. maybe later because it's recorded or, mm. or all these now it's so many more people and meeting in this virtual worldwide space, um, it's who would have thought, you know? So, yeah. and that that turned into a whole other sort of idea, sort of uh, spreading that access. And so, it's 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 cool to think about to really be open to what's wanting to emerge and what is emerging. And it's sort cool. of like, wow, I have to let go of one thing, but what is happening right now? Maybe the thing that's wanting to happen maybe i can step into that a little bit and see how it feels and yeah. see where it goes yeah saying yes is like huge you just never know you know i um i went to burning man in 2019 mm. and it was my first time um and honestly like the first time that i heard the 10 principle the 10 principle song your 10 principle song i thought it was about burning 10 man. laws oh 10 laws. Ten laws yeah yeah, yeah. Um, cause I was like, okay, always be ready for cold. Always be ready for heat. Like, this is about burning man. Protect your feet. Um, so anyway. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of about burning man, isn't it? <laughs> it yeah. really is. Never thought of that. Um, but saying yes to burning man, like it, it, burning man was like a wild experience. Um, and it's, 
it's really interesting to think that, you know, I went in 2019 and, you know, it's going to happen again in 2022, hopefully. And, um, but it's going to be very different. And so just kind of being a part of like kind of the last version of something like pre-COVID, like this is going to be something that marks all the time, like pre-COVID, post-COVID. Anyway, saying yes to that, saying, okay, I'm going to go do this. Um, that resulted in me being in uh, a small little tent uh, out on uh, out in the desert and with my, some good friends and their friends and one of those other people in the tent that I met on one of the nights I was there was was Joshua White who is now um, you know the the original founder founder and um, executive director of, of Fireside Project so we met out on the playa which you know I would have never guessed that 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 two years later we would have like co-created some of this amazing right. thing. Um, and so there, there is this, there's just such a humbleness and exhilaration in saying yes. And, and, and following like your, your cosmic yes. Like, and you know what that is. And like, I know when I've resisted it. Um, and I know the yummy, amazing feeling of, of like, just like allowing and just being in it and being like, I don't know what's going to happen, but, it's beyond me and it's not just for me. This is a, this is bigger things going on. Hanifa, that's a great way to close things out. The cosmic. Yes. Uh, thank you for saying yes to hopping on the show. As we both said, it was amazing. We, we did it within yeah. days, which is unusual <laughs> for busy people. Yes. Uh, but thank you for that. Uh, how, how's, how can people support you and learn more or, What's the best way? Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, you can go to my website, which is um, handsofhanifa.com. And there you can see all the things I'm up to. I've got music projects going on, all the different work that I'm doing in the psychedelic movement. Um, go to firesideproject.org. Join our mailing list. That's a, a wonderful way to stay up to date with everything we're up to. Um, we've got some amazing things coming out this summer. We're going to have an app very soon so follow us on instagram at firesideproject.org download our app when it comes out um one village healing um if you want to hop online and, and join us for some deep amazing practices just uh follow us go to our website onevillagehealing.org and um yeah thank you so much for for having me i dig it a uh, pro tip I just thought of. If you put the fireside number in your contacts and just put it as fireside, you could say, hey, Siri, call fireside without doing anything in the it's dark true. and it would work. That's very true. The number is 62 fireside. Um, so that's 623-473-7433. And I love that. Please save it in your phone now. So it's yeah, there. right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like a fail save. Just put that in there. You can always yeah. Siri. It might call someone named like you know as a Frank so and so side arm, but uh, <laughs> he 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 still might be able to help. Um, yeah, he he could be there for you as yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, and it's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much, Hanifa, for coming on the show. Uh, great to have you as part of our community but just great to meet you and looking forward to doing more things in the future and please check out fireside project put that in your phone and let people know uh, they're just trying to get the word out so people can know that that is available for them 
This song that you're hearing in the background is called Sweetly Down, and it is a preview of something that's coming out this Friday. This is going to be part of the Possible album. This features the Bonsuri flute of Sheila Bringy. And for those of you who with amazing ears, you might recognize this sound and style of play, playing because Sheila also played the Bonsuri flute on the Ramdas album on Mind Karma. She's amazing, an amazing player, and we're really happy to feature her again on this album. So the Possible album comes out this Friday, July 23rd, 2021. Thank you so much for helping get the word out, and when it does come out, for sharing it on your social medias, all those things, or you could even, like, just, you know, send it in this thing called an email to a friend and be like, yo, check this out if you like it, but it will be all 11 tracks. Uh, Until then, I'll catch you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for the support, and thank you to all of our council members on Patreon patreon.com slash eastforest you guys keep walking your walk don't take any shit and if you do do it with grace grace